Welcome to Behind the Peaks podcast, where we celebrate and make visible the professionals from Himalayan community in America by uncovering the challenges, difficulties, as well as the accomplishments that they have encountered along the journey. If you are someone pursuing higher studies in America and aspire to enter the professional world, or you are already in the professional world, look no further. The unique life stories of Himalayan professionals will not only inspire you, but also remind you that you are not alone. I'm your host, Tenzin Jagmeh, and in today's episode, we have someone who's a head teacher at a Montessori school, graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in History at Hunter College and Early Childhood Education at the College of New York, Rochelle. She has extensive experience working as assistant coordinator at Adhikar and teacher's aide at a Montessori school. She's very much involved in the Himalayan community and, most importantly, a professional. Nima Doma Sherpa, thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. You're a head teacher at a Montessori school? So before even diving into what your position is, what exactly is a Montessori school? Montessori education was built on the philosophy of Dr. Maria Montessori. She was an Italian physician who worked with children and through her observations of those children, she developed this unique method and philosophy of teaching. Um, it's a child-centered educational approach which means that it is student-led and self-paced. Unlike the traditional education received in public schools, where all the children are taught the same lessons at the same time and are expected to learn at the same pace. In a Montessori school, we believe that each child is unique and different and has his or her own pace to learn, and they are given the freedom to learn in their own pace and time. The traditional class is for everyone, but you're saying it's more personalized. Yes, it's more personalized. It depends on where each child is. I am less like the traditional idea of an instructor and more like a guide, a gentle guide. So my role is to guide my students and let them make their own decisions on what they want to learn, which eventually leads them to become more independent and confident. In my classroom, instead of standing in front of the class and giving the same lesson to every student, I work with individual students or give presentations in small groups of two or three. Um, while I work with each student, the rest of the children are free to choose any work. So it comes with uh, freedom but with limits, which means that they are able to work, but first I should have showed them a presentation for the lesson. And before the children even come into my classroom, I have to do the most important part of my job, which is to prepare and organize my classroom. And that allows the children to feel safe in that environment. And the classroom calls to them, it's inviting to them. And the most important thing is that I have to choose the Montessori materials that is developmentally appropriate for them. I assume you assess where the student is standing and then you, you curate a curriculum depending on that. Is that the idea? Yes. And each Montessori classroom has like four areas. It requires four areas. And we focus on first practical life area. That's where children, they learn like I'm talking about early childhood Montessori education, and this is like three to six year olds. And they have to learn starting from like how to like even grab a spoon and hold a spoon. So it's basically like teaching them these basic things. Huh, interesting. What are the other three? Other three is sensorial that focuses on their senses, all the senses like, you know, hearing, seeing, touching, smelling. And the other two is language 
And that's where we teach them how to start making the different alphabetical sounds and then slowly building on that and helping them like read and write. And then the last area is math. You're a head teacher at a Montessori school. What is your day-to-day like? Um, well, I have to organize a classroom before the kids are there. And I have to make sure like uh, what the syllabus is going to be before the year even starts. And I always have a goal in September. I have a goal of where I want the kids to be by the end of the year. Just last year, like, I knew I wanted my class, the kids, to be able to, like, at least count and, like, recognize, identify the numbers up to 100. And they were, and that was my goal for them. And also with reading and writing, some of the kids, they'd come to me without even being able to hold a pencil. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the year, they leave being able to, like, read and write. And that's... That's the goal I set for them. But this is like what I mean. I set a goal for each child, not like for the entire class oh, as one. Uh, and uh, so in a, in a class, how many students are there? In my class, I have maximum of 20. I do not have more than 20. And I have an assistant teacher who helps me. Where did this interest in teaching came from for you? Unlike most people, like I did not know what I wanted to do until like literally the end of my um, college career. I was struggling a lot figuring out what major I wanted to decide on. And this actually goes back to my childhood. One of the main reasons why I decided to become a Montessori teacher is because of my childhood experience with the educational system in Kathmandu, Nepal. When I failed to do an assignment correctly or received lower grades, then my teachers often compared me to other students. Um, Even worse, they used to hit me in front of everybody and they called me stupid and made me feel worthless. So in Nepal, the teachers wanted us to memorize everything and unfortunately for me, I was not good at memorizing. So I ended up hating school, had zero respect for the teachers and always wished that I was somewhere else but in school. So when I finally moved to America when I was 14 years old, I knew that I wanted to start over. I wanted to like do great in school because back then I just struggled a lot and I didn't even want to try. In my high school, which was a private high school, uh, especially a Catholic high school, in Burlington, Vermont, where it's like majority is all white population. I was the only Asian girl there. I was away from home. It was my first time away from my country, away from my parents. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to my first class of my high school, like ninth grade, Mm -hmm. um, it was my, it was Mrs. Conroy and she was my history teacher. And she had assigned us a homework Mm -hmm. on the first day saying that, oh, you guys have to do read first chapter and you have to write an outline. So I went home and I read the chapter and then I looked at outline and I didn't know what an outline was. And I thought, I assumed that it just meant like I had to like underline the lines that I thought was important. So I did that and then I went to class the next day and then she says, okay, everybody hand in your outline. And I see all my classmates like handing in papers. And I'm just there like, oh, my God, like, what's happening? And I knew I had, like, messed up, like, I had done something wrong. Mm -hmm. And then my heart was just beating, and I was like, my God, it's my first assignment in America, and I screwed up. Like, what is this teacher going to do to me? Like, she's going to yell at me in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. She's going to, like, punish me Mm -hmm. like the teachers in Nepal did. 
And so finally, at the end of the class, I went up to her and I told her. So I didn't do the outline because I don't know how to do it. And like while I was saying that, my eyes were just watery and like I was about to cry. And then this teacher, she just like hugs me, like you know, like a mom would hug her child.、Mm-hmm. And she was like, "It's okay. You're gonna be okay." And that was when like everything changed for me because that was the first time a teacher acknowledged that okay, this child is struggling,、mm-hmm. and I'm not here to like punish her or like.、Right. Tell her that oh she, like you you're absolutely bad, you're not good. Everybody else did their work except you, but instead she like told me that it was okay,、mm-hmm. and then she taught me how to do it. And yeah, and so I feel like that moment、right. made a huge impact on me and my life. And even till now, when I'm teaching my kids,、mm-hmm. I go back to that moment when I see them struggling. I remember that moment, and I say yeah. I remember how that felt.、Mm-hmm. It's certainly true that in Nepal, the way education is taught is, is by fear. If you don't do it, if you don't complete a, a homework, the fear comes out in you. We are taught that oh, you should be scared <laughs> to to be beat up if you if you don't do your assignments or whatever. So going back to your galaxy days,、um, you said you did till eighth grade. Uh, yes, I in, completed in eight to and, that. And you think you did good in board, or if you remember? I think this was like you know how we have to take SAT here. It was like pre SAT, like and no, I did not even try. I I did not even put any effort into it because I just was not into school when I was in Nepal because of the way I was being treated by not just me, even like my classmates、mm-hmm. were being t- treated by the teachers and the school.、Yeah. And I hated school, going to school. Whereas here in America, I loved going to school. At that time,、uh, when you were in Galaxy, when you felt like school was not school, didn't feel like that was for you. What did you wanted to be when you grew up? Growing up, like we are always asked by our、uh, parents, our relatives, and teachers, like what do you want to be? And I always like struggled to answer that question, while all my friends would answer, and I would just make up something. I would just say, okay, I- I'll be a nurse or whatever.、Right. Yeah, but it was never like I never had that like, oh, I want to do something. Like I didn't have that. So when you finished Galaxy and then、uh, when you transitioned to America,、uh, you shared us this instance of、uh, your first day in school. How was that transition、uh, with regards to, I guess,、uh, culturally? How did it affect you? Culturally,、um, it was completely a huge transition to me because in Nepal, I'm surrounded by Nepali, like people who look like me, and then I go to this new country in, in Vermont, of all places, where it's all like white people, and It was just completely different, and I I was a minority. However, because Vermont is a democratic state, and like the people there were very nice. Like even today, like I go back and I love going back to Vermont. I I just loved how welcoming they were,、mm-hmm. and if even like when I'm walking down the street, like if I see a random stranger, they would just say hi and how are you and things like that, and I love that. Whereas in Nepal, we just mind our own business and <laughs> we just do our own thing with our family right, and friends. Right. Interesting. Also in New York, I mean, you just mind your own business. And yeah, and, go and about New York is very much same at like Kathmandu. Yes. In your class,、uh, while you were going to high school, was it mainly Caucasian white? No,、um, mainly Caucasian, and、uh, I was. I think there was one other Asian girl, but she was like.、Um, 
they do the abroad studies. Ah, study abroad, yeah. Yes, and and my older brother also went to the same high school, but he graduated one year after I got there. He was a senior when I was a freshman. So you went through your high school, uh, and uh, how did you change as a student after that? I did excel in my high school. I actually used to be in one of the honored groups, and yeah, I I loved going to school. And sometimes my peers, my high school friends, they used to like um, make fun of our teachers. Like they would like speak back and talk back, and like I used to always like feel so bad for the teachers because. Like my friends, they don't know how it is back in Nepal. Like, and I feel like if they had known what I've been through, they wouldn't do that to the teachers here. Were you involved in anything besides your classes, like extracurriculars or? Yes, I loved um, skiing, horseback riding. I did all of that in my high school. I also run track and cross country. Wow! Is it horseback riding? Is it? Yes. You do you do that as an extracurricular in school? Uh, yes, they take us out after <laughs> school, and they take us. Yes, and huh. it was part of the curriculum. Is it considered a, a sports? Yes. In, oh wow! In Vermont. Yeah, and I got credit for that. <laughs> oh wow! I want to I move to Vermont now. <laughs> you did skiing, horseback riding, and, uh, and then it was time for you to, I guess, um, get into college. Now you performed quite well in uh, your four years of high school, and. Uh, Throughout that time, you had some understanding that, oh, I might get into this uh, this career of teaching. No. Not really. Not really. Not, not yet. Even then, when my friends used to talk about, oh, what, do you, what we wanted to do, I didn't have an answer. I honestly God, didn't know what I wanted to do. My friend, she wanted to be a nurse, and she was so sure of it. Even in high school, she was taking nursing classes, like the prereqs. And I was just like, wow. And... They had it all figured out, and I, I felt like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? But I always knew that it would come to me. I didn't force anything on myself. But when I moved to New York City here, my family and my relatives started telling me about nursing. And they at that time, that was everything people were talking about, oh, nursing, nursing. Everybody wanted us to get into that. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll give it a try. And I did. I tried it in LaGuardia, and I, the first semester I did great, and then I had to take the anatomy class, and that's when I struggled a lot. Like I told you, my memory, I, I cannot work that way. My brain doesn't work like that, and I struggled, and then I finally accepted that I wasn't going to be able to do it, and I told my parents, and they were very supportive. You applied to a few few colleges. Did you intentionally wanted to get out of Vermont? My family, by that time, they were all living in New York City, and yes, I definitely wanted to be with them, um, but I did have the opportunity to stay in Vermont, and I did get accepted into two colleges, but I still chose to come here. Because one, it wasn't as expensive as it would be in Vermont. The colleges are very expensive. And the LaGuardia College here is, is manageable. And I was able to get a part-time job. And I could pay the tuition myself and help my family. And so you applied to a few colleges. And then you decided LaGuardia is something that you can get into without getting much debt. So at that time, you mentioned how in the Himalayan community, there, there's uh, everyone, almost everyone is being forced to study <laughs> nursing, especially if you're a female. Yes. 
and uh, even some males actually. And uh, and yeah. you went you went to Lagoda for how how long? Uh, a year. A year. A year. Yes. So when did you decide? Now I need to move on to something else. When I wasn't doing great in the anatomy class, I right away told my parents that it was not going to happen. And then one of my f- classmates wa- was actually doing, ed- you know, she wanted to be a teacher and she was, her major was already decided and she was into education. And that's when I started looking into it. But even then, I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Even then, I wasn't like, okay, this is something I could do. And then I transferred to Hunter College and I was looking through I I already had like about I think 60 credits by then mm-hmm. and then I moved there and then I was going through the syllabus and all of that and I had taken a history class there and that's when I was like you know what I think I want to do this because I love history mm-hmm. and my counselors there also supported it and yeah that's how i chose to do history and i still at that moment did not decide that i wanted to be a teacher so you, when you transition to hunter college i've heard people saying transferring from community college to a four year is quite a quite a jump but how did that feel for you was was it much different no it wasn't for me um going from high school to college in laguardia was a huge difference because i went from like all white american school to like it's New York City where there's so much diversity and I felt like oh my god like finally I'm with like people who look like me and like like even Tibetans and Nepali were there and I loved speaking in my language with them and I felt like I was in Nepal so you got into Hunter decided now oh I want to major in history how was your experience in Hunter College like one year before I was supposed to graduate like I only had like two semesters left to graduate and that's when like I actually dropped out of college my major had been decided already then and it's just that I was going through some personal problems in my life and I just knew that for my mental state like for my own mental health I needed a break and I took that break for myself and even now I don't regret it like when I look back to it because I I know that I needed that time off for myself and yeah I, so I did I did drop out without like withdrawing from any of the classes I had <laughs> registered for and I got like Fs on all of those classes because mm-hmm. I didn't attend and I knew the consequences to right. it but still I went through it because like I said I wasn't stable at that time while I finally got myself together and I decided that I actually wanted to complete. And I went back and I was still a you know, student. I was under a student visa. And I knew that I had jeopardized it. So I went back to college to get readmitted. And I got extremely lucky because a lot of people, once they leave, they can't come back because they're out of status. Right. But I met like the head of the international department um and she asked me like we met in person and I told her about my story and I told her like about what happened to me and she gave me that second chance and yeah so that's how I got back into it and I finished my college wow because I've heard if you're an international student there's uh you're supposed to finish in, in the four-year, five-year time period, and then after that, you're supposed to work in the field that you're, you've been studying, or, or else you just have to go back to where you came from, yeah. essentially. And uh, obviously, there are 
So if, if someone is in this situation, it, it's imperative that you find someone who can help you. And uh, yeah, I got extremely lucky. At that time, you finished your bachelor's in history. What were you thinking to do with history? I made a conscious decision when I chose history as my major. It is one of my favorite subjects. Um, also, I researched and found opportunities and jobs for historians, such as working in New York Public Library or in museums. I also looked into the graduate program for history in Hunter College. And if I had gone down that road, then I knew I could also pursue a PhD in history. So those were some of the options that were in my mind. Uh, however, everything changed when I was introduced to Mon Montessori education. Denzing Sherpa, whom you've interviewed in the previous podcast, told me about the Montessori daycare in Ditmars. <clears throat> His friend's mom owned the daycare, and he asked me if I was interested in volunteering there. I told him that I wanted to try it out, and that's how I first began my Montessori journey. So at that point, what steps did you take to get to where you are? The owner of the daycare, she... She was the one who encouraged me to do it because she saw that I that it was something that I could do. Like mm -hmm. I was really good with kids, and um, I also know that about me mm -hmm. that I love working with kids because I have babysat numerous times in the past, and I had also um, tutored before, like kids from like high school to like even my little cousins. I have helped them with their assignments, like taking care of them. So. Um, and then she basically showed me the path, um, the owner of the daycare, and she told me like what school I should apply to, like what what was the best Montessori school to go. And I I went to New Rochelle, and that's where um, the department was. And they it was like an extensive course, and I could either finish it in one year or two years. And I chose to do it in one year. Was it a smooth ride? Did you have much of a trouble getting through that? So at that time, I found out that I could actually also get my master's degree with that program because they were working with College of New Rochelle. I wanted to apply. I saw that as something I could do. So I tr applied for the master's program too, while also applying for the Montessori course. And I got accepted. Yeah, I got accepted. But then when and it was such a great thing. Like I, I was about to do my master's and it was a happy thing for me and my family. And then later on down the road, I found out that I couldn't go do it. I couldn't do it because of my status, because I was out of status. And that was really heartbreaking for me because I was, I was really extremely happy that I was going to be getting my master's degree, but it didn't happen just because I didn't have papers. But however, with that said, the Montessori Education School, they were okay that I was out of status. They didn't mind. When you went through those experiences, uh, how was your support from your family, from, from people around you? Oh, my family have always been so supportive of me. Like I, like I told you, when I decided I wasn't going to do nursing, they were completely fine with it. As long as I was happy, they're happy. And when I told them I wanted to do um, teaching, I wanted to get into Montessori education, they were extremely proud of me and supported me all the way. After being exposed to the Montessori School of Teaching and uh, getting some experience volunteering here and there, how did you 
land the position of a head teacher? So when I started volunteering at the daycare that Tenzing Sherpa uh, told me about, I right away felt like it was where I wanted to be. And I saw how the teachers, they were Montessori certified and how they were teaching. And it was completely different than what I had known. Uh, the children, when they were working with the Montessori materials, they were so concentrated in their work that they didn't even notice that a stranger had walked into their classroom. And I also right away picked up on how the teachers were uh, communicating with the children and they were very respectful to the children and they would listen to the children and uh, let them just walk around freely in the classroom. And uh, I asked the owners about their journey in the Montessori education and they helped me and guided me and told me what I should do if I was interested in getting the certification. And I did the research and found out about Center for Montessori Education New York based in New Rochelle and I applied there and so there were two options I could have done. I could have done the first year, uh, just completed the whole course in one year which is an intensive course uh, or I could have chosen to go with the two-year course and finished it in two years instead. But I did the first one. Uh, I wanted to just get it over with, and I wanted, I knew that I could do it. So I got my certification within that year. And, um, the owners of the daycare, they also assisted me, helped me with finding places where I could intern. And there were two, three places that I interviewed at, and eventually I chose the one here in Astoria. Did you just, apply to one school no i went to like three i think three different monastery schools two in manhattan and one here in astoria and i love the astoria uh, and it's closer to your home as well yes uh but uh Montessori school is only for private school, you mentioned, or also for public school? Montessori education and schools have been around for over a century, and there are a lot of privately owned Montessori schools in America. However, um, there are uh, some public schools and charter schools that are beginning to integrate Montessori education into their schools. So that's a new beginning for Montessori education. And... Just a fun fact, Stephen Curry, the NBA Warriors basketball player, he went to a Montessori school too. Uh, his mom actually owned a Montessori school and he went there from preschool, I think, which is like about age three up to sixth grade. And he uh, stated that it was because of Montessori school that uh, made him who he is today. So I thought that was a cool fact for guys and people to know. So once you got the job and uh, as an intern, you jumped right into being a head teacher. Uh, so what was what was the transition like? Well, I did get my one year of the internship. That's when I got the training. Right. So that did prepare me for my position as a head teacher. And it, it, it was quite challenging. At first, it was nerve-wracking because now you're given all these huge responsibilities to take care of like 20 kids. Mm -hmm. But I did. I did respect my position and I know I earned it. Mm -hmm. And not just that, I do not look at my work as like, oh, like something I have to do. It's something I want to do. Mm -hmm. 
And every day when I wake up, it's like I look forward to going to work. It's quite refreshing、uh, to hear from someone from our community、uh, <laughs> to say, "I want to <laughs> do the job." <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like I'm trying to like romanticize my work, but I do feel like it's very therapeutic to be working with kids.、Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I I just you know enjoy being with them. And sometimes when I'm working, I actually get so engulfed into it that I forget that I have another life outside my work.、Mm -hmm. Well, your work becomes your life. Yes,、uh, I can't relate much to it because、uh, I I'm not good with kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've helped or、uh, assisted soccer coaches actually、uh, share a team、uh, here. They they have small share teams, soccer teams, and they teach small kids like I don't know, like nine years old, ten years old,、uh, and、uh, it's it's quite hard to <laughs> I guess handle quote unquote handle the kids because it's. They 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 run around. They don't listen to you. <laughs> it's it's quite hard. But、uh, what would you advise for someone who who can't even? <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, you have to be very patient to、right. be working with kids,、mm -hmm. children,、uh, and again, it goes back to if you give them respect, give them that freedom, then they will respect you back,、mm -hmm. and they will like listen to you. But if you go up to them and you start yelling at them and they tell them like you can't do this, you can't do that, they're not gonna listen to you.、Uh, it's, it's just like talking through it and like making them try to see like why you are asking them not to do that. Right. That helps them see the way. I mean, I, I can definitely understand how even even as a kid in Nepal,、uh, where where you're taught not to do, but you're you're not really. Um, being explained why you're not supposed to do it, exactly, and、uh, you 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 don't understand why you're not supposed to do it, but you just you're just forced not to do it. Now you're here teaching、uh, as a head teacher at a Montessori school. So what exactly do you do、uh, as as a head teacher? So let's say so you have mentioned how you、uh, plan out the curriculum, plan out the syllabus for the new year that is coming up. However, if you take let's say a week of your、uh, work. What what do you do? So just some few details about my work.、Um, I'm always observing my students, which helps me understand what they need to work on and where they stand academically.、Um, I work one on one with each student or in small groups and show them new lessons or repeat a lesson again. Um, so basically, I arrive to my work around eight forty-five, and first thing I do is go to my class and make sure everything is set for the day. At nine o'clock in the morning, the children start to、um, arrive, and I always greet them.、Uh, my assistant is also with me. So after that, they they all get settled, and and in the beginning of the school year. Which we call transition time. That's when we receive a lot of new students, students who have never ever been in a school setting. So we make sure that they go through the transition smoothly. And this happens. This takes some time for some students, whereas some students they naturally get settled in and they are comfortable being in the class. So it just depends on different each students. And so with that in mind, I make sure that. Once the children are in the class, they are all sitting down with me in the circle time, and that's when I teach them <clears throat> the basic things. We begin by、uh, me. Actually, it's like a singing. Like I sing to them, but I'm also teaching them at the same time. Things like 
I teach them days of the week, months in a year, and I teach them about the seasons. And it's just very smooth and flowing, and they can sing along with me, and they mimic me. Um, if you want, I can give you an example. <laughs> um, so basically, like, uh, I can do the days of the week. So I'll sing like, there are seven days, there are seven days, there are seven days in a week. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So it's like, you know, they don't feel like they're like, it's like singing. And they like the rhythm of it, and they choose to sing along with me. And some children, right away, they get it, and they copy it, and some take time, and that's totally okay. And after that, I sometimes also like to present them a work. And this is like, um, in the beginning of the year, I show them like a basic work, like something as simple as rolling a rug, or like how to sit on a chair and pushing always remembering to push their chair once they're like getting up and most importantly I show them that whenever they take something from the work shelf that they have to remember where to put it back and these little things they do matter because they teach them about order and about the class rules and yeah so after the presentation that happens uh, from 9 to 9 30 children are allowed to in my class are allowed to freely explore the classroom from 9.30 to 10. That's when they can work independently, they can work with art, they can do writing, or they can go to the library and read books. So it's completely up to them. And from 10 to 10.30, uh, we have a French teacher who comes into our class and she uh, sits down with them and she teaches them French and yeah, and after the French class, I take my kids to play uh, for half an hour. And I always tell my kids that that's the time they can just be themselves. Like, they are allowed to be themselves in the class too, but they can really, like, scream and be loud and just, like, jump and run. And that's their moment. Um, also, I do tell my children that we have to be respectful uh, to the classroom and that when we are talking in the classroom, we have to use our lower voices. And I do the same. I make sure that my assistant and I keep the tone of the classroom to minimal and we are almost whispering to the children so that everybody is calm and and the class is just, um, I want to say, like peaceful. Like it's very like peaceful in there. After the playtime we have lunch and the children they eat lunch and I help uh, set up the lunch for them and I make sure everybody uh, is eating and if anybody needs help with eating then I, my assistant and I we go around helping them uh, by feeding them and again this uh, I want to just like say this because we never force the kids to do anything, whether it's eating or like writing or doing work. It's totally up to them. They have the say on what they want to do. And if the child feels like they don't want to eat, then we cannot push them to do. Uh, after lunch, we have nap time. And that's when the kids nap for an hour and 40 minutes or 45 minutes. 
And at that time is when my assistant and I take turns to go for our lunch break. Uh, and we both get one hour lunch break. Um, so that's the only time I am away from my children. Uh, and that time is for me to just, you know, like <laughs> relax. And if there's anything I need to work on for the next half of the school uh, day, I do that. I come back to class at 2 o'clock. That's when all the kids are up. And from 2 o'clock to 2.30, they have Spanish lesson. After the Spanish class, we have snack. After snack, uh, we go back to our class. Uh, and from 3 o'clock to 4, we repeat the whole thing. Like in the morning, we have free work time. That's when kids, again, can choose to work with whatever they want to do. From 4 to 4.30, we go to play. The kids who stay with us uh, late, I take them to play out again. And from 4.30 to 5 o'clock, that's dismissal time. That's when start, kids start leaving, and we just prep them to for dismissal. And in Montessori school, it's not like the traditional school where everyone has to arrive at 8 and has to leave at 2. In our school, it's a private school, so the parents decide when they want to bring in the child, what time, and what time they want to take the child home. So some can leave at 12, some can leave at 3, and some at 5. So that's basically my day. Are the students being graded? No. This, that's the thing about Montessori school. We do not grade children at all. If they're is something that the child needs to work on, then we do tell them that, oh, like we would like to work, see the child work on this and that, but we would never give them an A grade or a B grade. There's no such thing. So how do you assess, how do you know that the students learn it? We do have our own uh, progress report, but it's not like a report card. Like it goes by like the child, whether their work is satisfactory or needs improvement. That's what we work on. If we see that a child is struggling with remembering, identifying a number or something, we would say, okay, that child needs improvement on that. We would just make notes of that. You mentioned satisfactory and needs improvement? Yes. So those those are the two things that you... Yes, that is. Or like very satisfactory. Huh. So, so in, in a sense, you have some some uh, way of saying yes, but it's it's not like you know they're like okay failed or passed, not not like that. It's just yeah. that they need they need to work on that. If you label it differently, the how you receive it is also different. But telling a student you failed something compared to telling a student you need improvement is is uh, it makes a, a lot of difference. I think it it does. Yes, because then you you don't feel like okay, like I'm not good. Right. You feel like, okay, that's something I can work on. Is there tests for the students? Never. We never give them any type of quizzes or tests. So no tests at all? No tests huh. at all. They are never pressured, basically, to do something. or It has to come from them. And also, we never give them any rewards. Like how public school, I think they give them stars and like stickers and things. In Montessori philosophy, we believe that when a child does a work or completes something independently, that's their reward. The feeling that they were able to do it on their own. So what is the incentive behind? What drives them to do more then? Well, 
themselves like they they have to be passionate about something for them to do it that's i think that is what it is it shouldn't be like money it shouldn't be oh i want to gain respect i I think that is what Montessori philosophy is about. That if you want to do something, it has to come from within you. I'm pretty sure uh, when you were in Galaxy, uh, and I, I can recall those days where in Nepal, where you have to memorize for days and days and days uh, before you sit down in, in front of a paper, you write down what you have memorized all those days. Uh, and I, I feel like in those times, you don't know how to think you don't know how to learn you're just basically reading things and putting in your brain what do you do to make sure that in Montessori school you teach the students how to think how to learn so in our classroom um, in my training what I went through was that we have to sit down next to the children the teacher and the children we are in the same level like even when it comes to the height like I have to the teacher has to like bend down like we have to come to the same eye to eye level and we talk to the child as equals mm -hmm. and that is when we give them that respect mm -hmm. that we are equals and then when I'm teaching a child I actually show them how to do it like each steps I show them and they copy those steps because children they focus on details it's insane how they they can remember details that even we don't like think that it's important And when I teach them like that, one-on-one, -on -one, that's when they are able to grasp everything because then I'm giving them that attention. I'm giving them that time and effort and they take it and they respect it and they want to copy what I did. And that's how they learn. Whereas in Nepal, they just hand us this book or whatever is in front of us and they tell us to just remember it. In the Montessori school, You are not being tested upon. You're not ranked. You're not in competition with any anyone else. But if you think about it, let's say in the next few years, even even next decade or so, you might end up going into a formal education where you are being tested on, where you're being given a standardized test. How prepared are they? Well, there are Montessori higher education and that the child could follow, that the parents could say, okay, we want to keep the child going in the Montessori method. However, if the parents decide that it's time for the child to go to a public setting, public school setting, then, you know, like I said, in our school, we prepare the child to be so strong and confident and have that freedom to do what they want to do, that even when they go to a public setting, they will still remember that it's not about the grades. It's not about pleasing anybody else. It's about them and their hard work and what comes from, the, from them. And even if they're being graded, I think eventually they'll learn that, like, that actually just shows their work. And I, I, I honestly don't think um, anyone should be graded like that. And another thing is that I don't know if you've heard about gifted and talented programs for the children here, but a lot of children who go to Montessori school, they actually get highly accepted into those programs, even though they've never been graded in the Montessori schools. When they do take those ex like tests, like they go through those work, they actually get higher chances of getting accepted. You've been doing this for four years, reaching yes. four years. Do you see yourself doing this for your entire life? I actually do. Yes. And I actually even want to open my own school if I could. Right. 
whether it be here in New York or in another state or even in Nepal, I would love to open a monastery school in Nepal. And the teachers who trained me or who taught me about Montessori method when I got accepted into the program, they were actually teachers, Montessori teachers themselves. So I feel like I want to give back to the community and like prepare like the new teachers and help them in their journey. So that's something I want to do too. What do you want to tell someone from our community trying to pursue a professional career in America? Uh, what advice do you have for them? Uh, I'd like to say um, to everyone, don't take life too seriously and learn to take risks, lots of risks. We all make mistakes and it's from those mistakes that we learn and grow. And lastly, Hakuna Matata. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think we'll, we'll wrap it here. Uh, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> thank you for having me again. It is certainly clear that there are a lot more stories like Nima's, and we will try to cover that in the next episode by bringing another professional from our community. We are very much excited to see Nima move forward in her professional life and want to wish her luck for her future endeavors. I want to thank all the listeners. If you have reached this far, that's our fifth episode of Behind the Peaks podcast. Please follow us on whatever platform you're listening to and don't forget to leave a review and rating. Until next time, stay professional.